What's good, everybody? Welcome back to episode, I think, 19 or 18, probably 19 of the Gifted Hoops podcast. And I'm joined here by a very special guest, esteemed content creator, B-Souls is in the building. Say what's up to the people, man. What's good? What's good? Shout out to the Gifted Hoops community. I'm happy to be here, man. You know what I'm saying? Gifted was on my stream a couple weeks ago. I only had to return the favor, man, because he, hey, he showed out. He showed out. So, you know. A big salute to B-Souls. I quickly just want to say you have been able to inspire and motivate many creators. I haven't watched your content for like years and years and years. Back when you were trying to balance it with college and all things of that nature. So I appreciate the opportunity. And I think today is going to be a phenomenal conversation once we get to hoops. But make sure to go support B-Souls' channel. His links and all that stuff will be in the comments section. Now, we're officially here. Uh, for my podcast so far, B-Souls, what I've been doing is every week I basically transition into analyzing an entire team um, in terms of their offseason, how the team performed last season, and their season expectations headed into the new year. So I think mm -hmm. the best place to start for you, at least, would be the 2023 preseason. Like, coming in, what were your expectations of, of the team after the NBA Finals that they played? I'm not going to lie, going into the la uh, last season, my expectations were pretty high. Pretty high. Um, I saw what we were capable of the second half of last season, specifically post-All-Star break, how dominant we were. I saw us developing an identity. I saw us in the playoffs actually get the job done to the point where we made it all the way to the NBA Finals. And seeing that, all I expected was improvement. And for us to actually go back to the NBA Finals and get it done this time around or whoever you know was in front of us um so those were my expectations now things did get a little bit shaky once Emei had to get fired and now we have to bring a new coach in if, if it was the same squad we just ran it back with Emei I would have been much more confident with my pick but having a coach that's never really coached before at, at that scale being our coach into this very important season with very high expectations really did scare me. Um, but yeah, those were my expectations. Yeah, uh, for me, I have to use my fan hat here. Being a Golden State fan, obviously seeing that Boston team straight up, I just want to be clear, like, Boston was a very, very good team. And like, they started out their season shaky, sure, but Eme gained the trust and the respect of every player on that team. And you guys took off blowing teams out. It was huge margins of wins for you guys headed into the playoffs. And then once you made it to the NBA Finals, the challenge for, you know, the Warriors against the Celtics was basically answering how to get offensive production, playing a potent Boston defense. And I'll say this mm -hmm. publicly, like to me, the main reasoning why you guys didn't win was really just the offensive inconsistencies. I think Boston's defense was stellar. A lot of people say, how can you play drop against Steph Curry? But they limited all production from every other source for that Golden State team. And I'll never forget this because I had like a 12 hour space up on Twitter where every Rockets fan, every Curry hater popped up in my Twitter space saying the game is over, the game is over. Because in game three, you guys look like a physically dominant team. Brown was mm -hmm. hooping. The production was great. But the offensive inconsistencies were the only question mark. Losing Ime, I agree with you. Like, that to me 
really changed where Boston could have been because Eme was such a defensive minded uh, guy first and the accountability and leadership that he brought to the entire locker room to me was tremendous. So coming into this season, though, I still thought Boston was going to be a really good team regardless of who the head coach was. But to be fair to the newer head coach, it was a hard situation because, I mean, you now have to come in, replace the head coach that just took this team to the NBA finals and yeah. now coach them through the entire regular season with a coaching staff that he doesn't actually like want all of those people there, but he's literally picking up the slack. How do you think Joe Missoula was in his first season? And do you have faith in him moving forward in your mind? I think, I think given everything at scale, I think he did a phenomenal job. I think he did a phenomenal job, given given the situation that he had. It kind of reminds me of Russell West—crazy parallel, but Russell Westbrook's 2017 MVP season, where essentially they were making moves in that offseason to surround Russ and KD with the help that they needed to take over that hump, right? They, they signed Victor Oladipo, I believe, before KD went to the Warriors, and then KD went to the Warriors— and now Russell Westbrook is just stuck with this team exactly. that is not built for him. Like, this is supposed to be Russ and KD. This is the help that y'all got to take you over the Warriors. But now this is what I'm stuck with. And what Russell Westbrook did that season was phenomenal, given everything that was going on. So with Joe, it's kind of like the same thing where, yo, our, our coach just got fired out of nowhere, to be honest with you. We're going to give you the reins instead of, uh, you know, hiring another head coach. This is a personnel that was not built to your coaching style, whatever that is. This is your first year as a head coach. And the expectations is, honestly, to win a championship. So for you to get all the way to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, hey, that's that's impressive. That is, that is hella impressive to me. And I'm not going to lie, in the moment, after Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals, when we got blown out um, by the Heat, I was like, I ain't going to lie, Joe understand you know you're doing your best it's honestly not your fault but you're not that guy for us personally i still have some sort of sentiment to that just because of the expectations the expectations is championship or bust for for the next couple of years so for me it's like how do we maximize that if this like in any other situation joe mazula would be in a fantastic situation but for us are you fulfilling the needs that we have so that those were like my questions with them after the season, but I'm still kind of iffy on them keeping Joe Mazzulla. If I'm 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 being completely honest with you, but at this point, only time will tell. And hopefully, this next upcoming season with him um, having more assistant coaches that are catered to him um, and the personnel, just them uh, developing an identity under Coach Mazzulla, I think is going to be big for the team. So. I think those are great points. And before we get to like the actual season from like the, you know, whole in terms of how you guys started, how you ended it and also the the playoffs, I do want to say to Joe Mazzulla's credit, and this is a preview of what happened in the playoffs, right? But to his credit, what a lot of people said, and I had like countless arguments, bro, countless arguments with people about how it's not fair to put all the blame on Joe because people said Joe Mazzulla completely lost the entire locker room and then this team rallied behind who joe mazula to force a game seven against that heat team when it looked bad going down 3-0 i understand they wound up not winning it but i do believe that joe mazula having the trust 
from the Boston front office is huge because what basketball is nowadays is people just want instant gratification. Are we winning mm. or not? If we're not, blow everything up. Trade J- Jason Tatum. Trade Brown. Fire the head coach. But in reality, you have to go through losses to understand what that feels like, what that situation is like to regroup and bounce back from those things. I still have question marks about him as a head coach, sure. But objectively, he was not put in the best position to maximize him. And continuity matters in NBA. Apparently, right? Yeah. I mean, Denver came out and they won the whole championship. And this is a team that at any point could have fired their head coach after years and years of being out in the playoffs in the first round. But no, they stood by him and they won a championship because of that. Jokic and Jamal had more time to gel and play together to learn how to be a championship duo. So to me, like, continuity matters. And I think everything Boston has done this offseason shows that they are also thinking about that continuity in reference to the NBA. But before we get to the preseason prediction for 2024, for the 2023 season, you guys started out pretty strong. Um, This team Mm -hmm. was productive in their spots. I got to be honest, before we get to the Jason Tatum either praise or slander, we got to keep it a beam. In the first month of basketball, Jason Tatum was an MVP candidate, and it was not like, oh, well, he's winning, so that's why. No, he was shooting 50-50-100 splits. I remember this <laughs> yeah. vividly. Yeah. Like, the dude yeah. the dude was was hooping. The defense was the best he's ever played. He was the best defender on that team, and he wasn't just, like, silently in the conversation. I, I remember it was, it was Steph, it was Tatum, it was Jokic Luka. to start the season. Luka, too. Luka was phenomenal, right? And those numbers this, were too crazy. He was like putting up like 33, 15, and 12. 35, oh 35 yeah. point triple-double, 60% in the paint. It was ridiculous what we saw him do uh, as well. But in terms of Jason Tatum, the improvements that I wanted to see him make was primarily getting to the free throw line at a higher rate, adding a consistent in-between game, which he's still trying to work on, but also just being a more efficient basketball player. And I think Tatum really took a leap from a playmaker perspective more than any other season this season what a lot of people won't give him credit for i have to give him that but i do feel like as the season progressed his shooting in terms of spot ups on catch and shoot kind of waned and the pull up threes were concerning because tatum to me is a high level shot maker to where he can make tough shots for sure but the parts in his game in terms of consistently having that in-between in game, like it felt like this season, he was more so I'm either going to be in the paint or threes and the mid-range game was kind of erased from his package. And mm-hmm. I kind of want to like give Missoula credit for that because he was trying to maximize their offense. And I mean, the entire team was literally 50, 40, 90 for like three months of basketball. What do you think about Jason Tatum's progression last season? Um, I was very happy with it. I, it's just crazy because Tatum and Brown, they have so much high expectations for them. But then when you look at them, they're really only like 24, 25. And I yeah. think that's the reason why they get slandered so much is because they're at a point in their career where they're good enough to have expectations. But like, yo, you still need to give them a little bit more time because they haven't entered their prime. So with Tatum, I was looking at the finals in 2022. One of the main weaknesses that I saw was he was foul baiting way too much. Like when he would go to the rim and attack the rim, it would never be on some finish through contact or like even just try to get a bucket. It was on some like James Harden, you know, thing where like he go into the paint, try to on the arms right there. Ah, but in the it, yeah, but in the finals they wouldn't call it 
and it would just mess up, you know, his shot selection, his field goal percentage, and it would just end up being a bad shot because they yeah. wouldn't call it. So what I saw in that first month with Jason Tatum, what I was really trying to keep an eye on was rim pressure. I'm going to be honest with you. Going to the rim with intention, going to the rim with a purpose, trying to actually score a bucket instead of just trying to foul bait. Because I, I agree with you. I think he could... I think the season before, he made a really good... Uh, he had really good progress in terms of trying to get to the line more. I think he OD'd on it by the time the playoffs came around. It was crazy, but I think yeah. It, yeah, it, it was crazy. But then in the 2023 season, I think he found a better balance of it. But throughout the, the season, like you said, I think he leaned a little bit too much on the jumper. That rim pressure wasn't as, at least from my eye test, maybe the, the numbers, you know, show something else. He wasn't getting to the rim um, as much. Some of that foul baiting came a little bit back. Um, yeah, but when Jason Tatum is aggressive and, you know, just, just on it for real, Trying to get to the rim, trying to attack attack the rim, because I, I I always I always said this with Tatum. Jason Tatum is six foot ten. Now he's athletic, like he's not skinny anymore, and he got a handle on him. You should be getting to the rim way more, bro. Like you're not you're not a six you're not like Steph Curry where you need to rely on skills too much. Like you can actually power yourself through the rim, and you got the skills. So that's what really frustrated me. But throughout the whole season, I did see that he. He did progress in that department. The three-point shooting, again, he needs to improve on on his consistency. But I'm more so um, worried about like his his shot selection. Like I don't want you to, even if you improve from three, I'd rather you take the same amount of threes but attack the rim more. You know, so that's just me. Yeah, like everything you said about Tatum right there was spot on because when Tatum's in that rhythm to where. I can get to the basket. Defenders don't know how to deal with him because he can shoot. Like, he, he can make those pull-up shots. But the shot selection consistently during the season waned in and out. And it kind of felt like, Tatum, you can literally kill this switch every time. And it felt mm -hmm. like that most in the finals, in my opinion. Because I'm seeing him have multiple possessions where he gets the Curry switch, which that entire series it's hunt steph curry because he's the best offensive player on the other end let's kill him you know on defense so he's not as good and it felt like they settled a lot for jump shot and a jump shot and in the first month of basketball tatum said okay i wrote this down i learned because he was getting to the basket at will his free throws were there and he was playing mm -hmm. a phenomenal game but there is a thing that i would say with this tandem of, of tatum and brown that i do find interesting they kind of play an inverted style like Tatum to me is more shot happy and Jalen Brown wants to uh, attack the basket more. But Jalen Brown sometimes will have tunnel vision in terms of like not creating the best looks for others consistently when he's going downhill. I do think mm -hmm. Jalen Brown stepped up big too because I mean, you know, he averaged 27 points. Obviously, that's that's huge. But for the tandem moving forward, what do you think they need to do more of to actually complement each other? Because I still feel like sometimes when they're playing... They don't really play off of each other. They play with each other, if that makes sense. I feel like the reason why the last two seasons, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been exposed the way that they have been is because the Celtics, I don't know. It, 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 it's because of a bunch of different factors, but they've been put in a situation where they're asking these two players to do things out of their means. Like Jason Tatum is a scorer. He plays defense. 
But then all of a sudden, now you're asking him to be a primary playmaker on ball when that's not how you drafted him. You know what I'm saying? You're not expecting seven, six, seven, eight assists from the dude. Same thing with Jalen Brown. He's supposed to be that right now. He's supposed to be that second option that can also play make on ball. But in reality, he's actually a really good cutter. He actually plays better off ball. He's more, you know, he's good in the transition. Great in the transition, I would say. Yeah. So I feel like that's the problem with their dynamic, at least before this offseason. Now, maybe this is just me being too optimistic with the Porzingis trade. But that's why I really like the Porzingis trade is because of the fact that he's going to allow Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to play within their lane just a little bit more. Like, because he's also a 23-24 point per game score in his own right, you don't need to give Jalen Brown more isolation touches when the offense is getting stagnant. Uh, same thing Same thing with Jason Tatum. You can operate a little bit more um, within the free throw line and within the mid post instead of trying to operate in the perimeter, in my opinion. So I think Porzingis really adds a dynamic to them that's going to change how they, de- uh, they develop. But I do think the next leap for Jason Tatum is being a better passer and a better playmaker. I, th- I think his scoring, again, just attack the rim more. But, you know, when, when it comes to the playoffs and you're getting double teamed way more than usual, I need you to be able to make these advanced reads so you can find these open players. If you just have tunnel vision the way that, that he had like two years ago and that doesn't really develop, I think that's a bad sign. Um, so that's that's what I'm looking for with Jason, uh, Jason Tatum. Now with Jalen Brown... The handle, man. I ain't gonna lie. That's the hey, that's the big one. It's the handle. I'm I'm gonna keep it a bean. I don't even ex- I, I don't need him to advance as a passer. If he does, that's fine. But again, like I, I just need to <laughs> I just need to be able to give you the ball and go left if you need to. You know? So that's just me. Be, be also be a uh consistent spot up three-point shooter. I think um throughout the season he shot like 36%. Like around there, uh, 35, 36. When you're shooting at that high of a volume, I need you to shoot closer to 37, 38. Especially with the um, with the way he shoots at the free throw line not being that consistent. I don't, I don't think he's like. I think there's a couple series where he shot like 60 percent, even 50 percent. I think throughout the whole season he's never shot 80 plus percent, maybe once and like barely. So I need him to improve his free throw shooting and his handles primarily. But again, I'm I'm not expecting them to just take like this insane leap in an offseason so i i want to be realistic with what i'm asking for them so so this is why i rock with b souls because he 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 told us how he felt he stated facts here's my perspective on this right so the leap for brown and like before i actually get into these things right i first want to say i agree with your point on the expectations on brown and tatum the reason why they have high expectations is because they've had success more than any other duo. If we're being honest, like like they have been together for so long and every year it's conference finals, tough second round, conference finals, NBA finals, conference finals, game seven. Like they have had so much playoff battles that a lot of people, you know, have seen. We just expect at some point that they're going to really take over and, you know, eventually bring home everything. And for Tatum to already be this good into his career and Jalen Brown, you know, to still be good as well, they have the talent to get it done. What I would say on Brown, though, the leap that I wanted to take the most 
his handle matters. I agree with you because in the playoffs and all that stuff, like he had multiple possessions where he would just have the ball and lose it. And mm-hmm. the defense isn't even really pressing him. He's just naturally losing it. Yeah. But the most important thing for me personally, Souls, Jalen Brown has to refine his identity defensively because I feel That's like true. who he was as a defender before was so much better than whatever he was last season. In the playoffs, I was seeing like Kayla Martin and consistently Duncan Robinson just beat him off the ball. And like even on the ball, he was getting cooked. And I feel like the identity of what Boston is and why they have been so good for years and years and years is regardless of whoever the head coach is, your identity is these two wings who can play both ways of the basketball and score at a high level. The lack Mm -hmm. to have that identity, obviously, is you don't have like a potent playmaker with these guys. But but the idea is we're going to lock you up and we have these guys who can score at a high level and we'll figure that out. And I feel like if Jalen Brown can't get back to that defensive profile alongside Tatum, it kind of takes away a little bit from that identity, especially when you consider the fact that they traded like the heart and soul market smart which i kind of wanted to get in with you because i'm not quite sure how you feel about smart but i do feel like losing smart has some pros and cons how did that trade make you feel because it happened randomly by the way like we we thought smart was safe and then at like 12 p.m it's like oh by the way we're actually gonna trade you now that that trade shocked me the most out of any trade like in the last couple of years i ain't gonna lie just because of how everything folded out I was like, okay, Malcolm Brogdon, damn, that's tough. That's and then tough, they canceled man, it you know? with like 10 minutes. Yeah, and then they can't and, and then then I heard the then I saw the tweets. Yo, I ain't gonna lie. Nothing's finalized. You know, they gotta finalize it till midnight. And I'm like, okay, wait, is the trade just gonna be vetoed or like canceled? Bro, it or was whatever? a countdown. It was it was legitimately yeah. a countdown on Twitter for like for what was happening. Like, oh, Porzingis, by the way, has to opt in. If it doesn't yeah. opt in before midnight, it's <laughs> gonna be a wrap. I'm like, damn. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, Marcus Smart has been traded. What? Wait, what? So, wait, <laughs> yeah. both of them are gone? Like, what What the fuck is going on? So, I, I was, like, panicking. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. And also, like, everyone knows, I mean, it's the meme. Uh, it's the meme. Like, he's a very big part of our of our identity. And also, to the, to the city of Boston, he also means a lot, too, because he does a lot of local work, Um, from, from what I know. So, he, and he was a dude that really embraced Boston as a city, which with the perception of how Boston is, you know how rare that is. You know what I'm big. saying? Yeah, so big. that was like, nah, not not Marcus Smart. So it definitely like struck me. I'm like, nah, not this dude. Like he's one of those it's like it's like like the Warriors winning without Draymond. You know what I'm saying? Like, can yeah. they get it done? Yes, but is it gonna be the same? No, to be honest with you. So it was that kind of that um type of feeling. And I understand the whole, like, he's the heart and soul of the team. But there's also, I think that's also a reason why the Celtics have been having trouble to find that hump. Because that's, uh, uh, get over that hump, excuse me. Because I said this in the playoffs, these last playoffs. I'm like, I get it, man. Marcus Smart is the heart and soul of this team. Al Horford is a, is a veteran. He's a leader of this team. But listen to what we're saying. We have two All-NBA dudes on our team. One is supposedly on the on the you know cusp of being a top five player. One is an All NBA player that we're about to sign to a supermax. Yep. And we're looking at Marcus Smart and old Al Horford as being the identity makers of this team. So to me, it's like I understand why they're getting exposed. But like we said earlier, I think all greats within this game and really in anything 
they gotta go through these like growing pains all of them and yeah. go through the go goes go through these humps in order to become a better player so i i, I on one hand I'm, I'm thinking like okay there's fixes there's problems to this team that we need to to fix and we can find people to fix those problems or we can take like this kind of gamble and force these guys to be better so let you know I, I think the reason why tatum became a better playmaker is because he was put in a position in 2022 to like yo you need to be a better playmaker does J like same thing with jalen brown this year you if y'all think jalen brown does not hear all of these he doesn't have a handle memes and tweets you're bugging yeah, and that's yeah. why I have confidence with the next year. I understand the whole argument of like, yo, some players just max out and this is just who they are. I just find it hard to believe that he is seeing all these memes and he's just going to come into next year with the same handle. So. Yeah, I think I think those are great points. I got to be honest with you, though. Like for me, we didn't know what the package was going to be. I thought for a split second, Boston was going to get maybe Tyus Jones and I'm like oh my god they're getting a point guard that can finally do all the playmaking and now Tatum and Brown can just be these great two-way wings who can make plays every now and then but they don't have the pressure of having to break down defense every single time and instead you trade smart and I do want to say this like I don't like when people gas things too far like oh he was the heart and soul yes he was yes this is true but at the same time there have been a lot of games where smarts iq on the court sometimes can come into question with his decision making on the ball sometimes and i feel like by xing him out you're saying okay tatum okay brown it's time to put on these pants it's time to wear these 300 million dollars super max <laughs> yeah. pants and step up into these roles of you are the lead decision makers on this team to improve in that regard. What I don't like, though, is the identity of Boston has always been defense, defense, defense. And Smart gave you so much flexibility in terms of a guard who can guard up. I've seen Smart literally guard Joel Embiid and make him take terrible post fadeaways, which is why they'll never win a championship. But I'm just, you know, like yeah. I've seen Smart play at that level and losing that to me is now a hedge on, okay, Derek White, you're going to take the step, but Porzingis, and this is the biggest thing. I am a fan of Chris as Porzingis. A lot of people shit on him after he got traded from the Knicks to the Mavericks, and he looked terrible in, in the playoffs. I understand that, but mm -hmm. I think what Porzingis did last year for the Wizards, it was his season to like, refine who he was, and he was a great movement spacer. And the versatility in terms of the offensive lineups you can have now, like having a big who can pop at a high level is crucial because Al Horford is getting older. Eventually he's going to get phased out, you know, from this build of the team. But now yeah. you have Porzingis who is not just some guy who can shoot, but I can low key leave open. Like, okay, Al Horford, you can shoot. Cool. But I saw people in the playoffs be fine with you taking those shots. You're not doing that with Porzingis. Yeah. You're not doing that with him because Porzingis is known as a marksman sniper who is also a underrated movement shooter. And I feel like Boston, outside of Grant Williams maybe, hasn't really had a true movement guy who can just move around the floor and pick and pop with Tatum and Brown. So it makes the offense easier because your moments of the offense breaking down is when it's just Tatum and Brown uh, take the ball, high pick and roll, hunt a switch. Next thing you know, it's like, eight seconds left and bad shot right now you have Porzingis yeah. where it's like okay we can give him the ball he can pass out of it Tatum and Brown could cut 
maybe do more uh, off-ball screens. Tatum's off-ball ability last year was sensational. So now you can really cook up something that could take away a lot of the problems that they have offensively. The question is now, can the defense hold up? Can Porzingis be durable enough and impactful to play those minutes at the five and be the rim protector he can be? It's kind of a trade-off to me, but I do think for Boston, the bet is all on those two players and the offensive system that Joe Missoula will now have an entire offseason to build. Right. I do think a really big part of the success for the Celtics team moving forward is just consistent three-point shooting in general, and that's really for any team. But I was looking at us being a, a very streak, not not uh, streaky, excuse me, like being very reliant on the three ball. Yeah. And I looked at the percentages on the team. Our top three shooters from an attempts perspective was Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. And they all shot 36% or less from the three. And I'm looking at our system. So we shoot a lot of threes, and our top three shooters aren't really shooters for real. So that's why I said... I think Porzingis adds a, a very different dynamic, not even from just that perspective, but also that perspective of like a more consistent three-point shooter. And that's why I also said for Jalen Brown, you know, I ain't gonna lie, if there's anything you need to focus on is the handle and be more consistent with the spot of three. Because I, I feel like with Tatum and Porzingis there, you will get more open looks because of the gravity and the playmaking that they provide. So if you're open, be ready to catch, shoot, and, shoot. and make yeah. the three ball. And if you can do that, Again, like what you said, uh, regain your defensive identity and work on the left hand a little bit. You're straight. I don't I don't need you to be Steve Nash out there. I don't. You know, I, I don't need you to be Luka Doncic out there. I just need you to score, shoot, and play defense. That's it. Yeah, you, you just ideally want Brown to limit the mistakes he's making, even if he doesn't improve that much there in terms of like playmaking, which I still believe, though. And like, we'll get into this right after. If you're going to pay Jalen Brown $300 million, you better become a better playmaker within two or three years. But in terms of this offseason, improving defensively and making less mistakes with the ball is a huge thing for Jalen Brown. But before we get into Jalen Brown's Supermax, I do just want to say big shout out to Malcolm Brogdon for what he tried to do for this team. But I think the build of this team is gonna get impacted a lot by the new CBA, which you're not gonna have Tatum. I assume they're going to give him the same thing too. We've talked about this before. Like, how do you feel about giving Tatum and Jalen Brown two Supermax deals? And what do you think that means for the future of the franchise? I personally am fine with giving Jason Tatum a Supermax. Maybe it's the bias, but I feel like this dude has top five player potential. And I've seen some of the lists going around NBA Twitter already. Some people already have him at five. So when you have that player on your team at age 25, 26, and let's not even about let's not even talk about marketability and all these other things. Like, I why wouldn't you give Jason Tatum a supermax, in my opinion? Now, Jalen Brown is where it always got iffy to me. Because when we think about a supermax, and again, I, I need to preface this by saying I'm not saying Jalen Brown is a bad player. He's not, not hating on Jalen Brown, improve. Yeah, I'm not I'm not hating on Jalen Brown, but just with the context of number one, you got to give two of them things. Not just one, two. With the context of the new CBA and with the context of the expectations of this team, I just felt like giving Jalen Brown a super max was... It was risky. Like, let's can, can we just stop pretending and acting like it was just such a win-win for the Boston Celtics? Like, it, it was risky. 
And with the new CBA coming up, I'm I'm a big proponent of depth. I, I don't like what the Phoenix Suns are doing with just getting four stars and just finding scraps to fill out their bench. I was also one of the few people that when the Brooklyn Nets um, traded for James Harden, was also not a big fan of that move because I felt like they had really good continuity with their squad before the James Harden trade. And then once they got the James, uh, once they got James Harden, they gave up a lot of their depth and didn't really fix any of their issues, specifically defensively. And now you're relying on these three stars who are injury prone, and it showed out in the playoffs. It showed out in the playoffs. Kyrie got injured, James Harden got injured, and we're honestly lucky KD didn't get injured. So with the Boston Celtics, they're I'm, I I don't like that where they're leaning a little bit too heavy on the star power. Even with the Porzingis trade, I understand the dynamic he brings to this team, but he also has injury issues himself. So that's why I'm not a big fan of them signing Jalen Brown to a Supermax. And if I were to be the GM, I personally would have traded him still. But I do see the pros of having Jalen Brown on the team because of the continuity factor that we've been talking about. Like the Denver Nuggets, the Miami Heat, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Boston Celtics, the reason why they've been so successful over the last couple of years is because of continuity. You know what I'm saying? And if anything, the reason why the Celtics failed last season, like we mentioned, is because of the lack of continuity with coaching. So, you know, you can see the pro there. And if they traded for, if they traded Jalen Brown away, now you got, I'm assuming it's going to be a big piece or a couple big pieces that they bring onto the team. Now they have to re-identify um, who they are. Now Coach Missoula needs to re-identify what he has to do with this team. And now we're just back to square one with the same expectations of, yo, y'all y'all got to win a championship because you guys are the Boston Celtics. And you have these certain levels of, of, of expectations. So um, does that outweigh all the cons, though? That's where I'm like, uh... I don't know. I don't know. There's still a lot of cons that I mentioned, but you know, only time will tell. If we win a championship next year or the year after that, all these questions really don't mean anything because we won a championship. But if we don't, then we're going to look back and say, yeah, y'all should have traded this dude and look to win now more because you have this two to three year championship window and y'all wanted to play silly and try to have a, a longer championship window with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum instead of just trying to win one in the next two to three years. It's kind of like with the Lakers. Like, would they have had a longer championship window with LeBron and keeping uh, Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, and potentially Zion if they, they ended up with him? Maybe. But, yo, you have a chance to get Anthony Davis, like, right now. Like, y'all can win, like, next year. And I find it, I find it funny because I ask Lakers fans this all the time. Like, yo, would you rather have, you know, be good for the next six to seven years? Um... If y'all didn't trade for AD hypothetically, or you know, get AD won that 2020 ring, but after 2024, you guys are buns for the next five to six years after that. And every single time they say, "Yo, I'd rather have that bubble ring. Like I, I'd rather have that ring over anything." So that's where I'm at with the Jalen Brown situation, to be honest with you. So like I have been looking at this situation for some time. I've e I've even DM'd you about it. Like, yo, so is how you feel about it because. How I feel is where the league is going is versatility is king. Every team in the league is going to be aiming to have rosters that have a blend of size and skill. The Magic are, are, are trying to do that right now. Denver just now did it when they won. 
Boston has also had size in the past before. You have to have versatility at pretty much every position. And the reason why Boston to me has been primed to be such a good team is they've had players, like, they had a roster that had Marcus Smart, Derek White, Al Horford, Robert Williams, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Grant Williams. Um, they just have like so much position flexibility. And my thing is they've been such a talented roster but when you give Jalen Brown a supermax, you don't feel the impacts this season. You don't feel the impacts next season. But once you get to 25-26, where both of those contracts kick in and you only have one player on the roster under contract, things then get murky. Because then you need to also sign role players that can outplay the value of their contracts if you want to win. Which is still mm -hmm. doable. I'm not saying that it's, it's not. But what this move does more than anything in my mind is it puts like even more pressure on Tatum and Brown to win now before those contracts officially kick in. While you still yeah. have the talent, while you still have Rob Will, who might be injury prone in the future, but as it stands right now, is still a great player. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the reason why everyone is just so harsh and why the Celtics situation is so difficult, difficult and different is because of just the timeline of everything. If yeah. everything was so straightforward and, like, we didn't have championship expectations right now, we would, we would be looking like, I don't know, the Pelicans or something. Where, okay, you give them the Supermax now, let them develop so that by the time they're 27, 28, by the end of that Supermax, we're actually competing for a championship at the right time. But now, because the dudes are 24, 25, 26, with championship expectations right now, with contracts due right now, it's just messing everything up. It's hard. You know, so, it's not easy. Yeah. Like, like people have to stop acting like it's such an easy thing. Me personally, I would have probably leaned more on the side of trading Brown because in my mind, like, I think Jason Tatum is so good of a player that I think just having flexibility around Tatum where maybe some other star player wants out, like, you now have roster flexibility. But it's so easy to say that on paper. If you look at the deals uh, out there, the only deal that people really liked I think was like the Dame trade. And even then, even making that move has complications for your roster. So I do understand Boston saying we need to trust our continuity. If we're going to win or lose, it's going to be with the players that we drafted. We are going to develop Jalen Brown more and fix his flaws around Jason Tatum and even fix his flaws too and potentially win that way, which I do respect because I'll be honest, souls, in this year's playoffs, I had a lot of questions, right? Like mm -hmm. going six games with the Hawks, seeing Trey Young win win one game without DeJounte Murray, it was really surprising. And then going seven games with the Sixers who game one, James Harden looked like he was going to be a man on a mission. It mm -hmm. looked scary, but seeing the way that Tatum bounced back, which he had one of the worst games I've ever seen. But in the last five minutes of that game, seeing Middle. him just make all the important <laughs> shots, even though it was ugly, making all the important shots when you saw James Harden and Joel Embiid crumble and not answer it at all, it does speak to Tatum's greatness as a player. Because again, continuity, like you said, it matters. It takes several years to win an NBA championship. The way we talk about things now is just... We're so conditioned to having everything at our fingertips. I want to watch this video. I can go on YouTube or my phone or TikTok. Like yeah. our attention spans for things, we don't have the patience to be fans anymore. And for you, I'm going to assume that you would rather them go with the Tatum-Brown pairing than Tatum with 
young draft picks and potential flexibility. Because to me, once that happens, you're not in championship contention. But the idea would be Tatum reaches a certain level. You attract, you know, a certain player. And then in the next three to four years, you then would be. Which one would you rather have? Um, I'd rather go the Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown route and just... Hey, we, we already got something here. Let's try to maximize it. Because I feel like the problems that we have right now are actually a product of something that started in the 2017-2018 season. All right. When we got Kyrie and when we got Gordon Hayward and when we uh, signed Al Horford the season before, I think that was a a push to like, okay, let's try to win now. All Great right. Point. And then the Brooklyn picks ended up being what they were and we kept them. We kept them. So now we're in this weird situation where we're trying to win now, but we're trying to have the longest championship window as much as possible, which we're low-key seeing. We honestly might have the longest championship window out of any franchise in a minute. But what that did was we have Jason Tatum. We have Jalen Brown. They're showing potential, but we're not building around them at all. We really only started building around them two years ago. But then we have this core of Kyrie. We have this core of Gordon Hayward and Al Horford who sign on to this team to win a championship. And we're not maximizing that championship run. I remember the talks back then. We were in talks for Jimmy Butler. We were in talks with Paul George. We were in talks with DeMarcus Cousins. We were in talks with Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis was the biggest one in my opinion. AD was the biggest one, yeah. AD was the biggest one in my opinion. Um, But we we never took that jump. And now we were left with essentially wasting that Kyrie era, in my opinion. Um, and I know the you know the Warriors were the super team, and if if some of those players even came, would they would we even beat them? But in hindsight, or we could have been the 2019 Raptors, and it's unfortunate, but like capitalized off of some of these injuries that happened, and we yeah. could have went off with that one ring that justified every single thing that we did, regardless of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown panning out that uh, the way that they did. So I That's feel like crazy this, about basketball too. Like like one one championship ring <laughs> makes yeah. everything worth it. It don't matter how you get it. You get it and you're good. Uh, hey, the Celtics out of and, and this is the crazy part. The Celtics out of every fan base knows this. We have been milking that 08 ring for the last 15 years. <laughs> oh God. Doc Rivers been using y'all. <laughs> That's a fact. Doc yeah. Rivers has extended his career for 15 years because of that 08 ring. It just ended this week. Now he's gonna be commentating. So it's like, all right, bro, like, what are we doing? So that whole idea of Jason Tatum and, and young draft picks to me is just a repeat of history. Like, okay, now we got this uh, superstar that's trying to win now. And because of how y'all are surrounding him, he's probably going to leave because of this because he just wasted three years of his career. And then we, we're going to have young assets that we're not going to be able to build around properly because we have Jason Tatum, who's the top five player in the league and has a super match. So my opinion... Listen, man, let's just pray to God Jalen Brown actually develops. Pray to God, you know, Coach Missoula figures out that scheme and we win one in the next two years. Because even with the questions that you brought up, you know, three years down the line, again, all of that stuff is null and void if we won, win one in the next two years. And, like, I do got to say, like, that that is what makes sports so interesting because everyone is like, like, right, you are the best team in the league until you're not. Right. You you are the best team in the league until 
Kevin Durant tears his Achilles and Klay Thompson tears his ACL and then you're the worst team in the league, right? Like these yeah. timelines change and evolve so quickly. And I love your point because what people forget, the Kyrie stuff, right? Having Kyrie Irving on the Boston Celtics, what a lot of people like fail to realize, the first year, y'all were great. Kyrie was the MVP conversations. There was no conversation about any negativity. And then what happens? Kyrie gets hurt. Jalen Brown and Tatum step up. Then the next season, let's bring Gordon Hayward and start him over these guys who just earned it in the playoffs. And then like the chemistry's like iffy. Terry Rozier wants his bag, so he he's yeah. acting up. Like th things evolve and change so quickly. So for Boston to cling to the idea of, hey, we drafted these guys, we built with these guys, we've been in consistent playoff success with these guys, we're gonna go for it. I can respect that from the Boston Celtics. But in the short term to me, the consequence of doing that is you need to maximize the window now. Because once those yeah. contracts kick in, like, it's easy to say, you know what? I'm with you, Boston, now. But when Jalen Brown is making $70 million uh, alongside Jason Tatum, maximizing that window is going to be way harder. But I rock with yeah. it. So I'm curious about how you feel about your nemesis, though, the Miami Heat. If they're able to get Damian Lillard, what does that timeline look for you in terms of Boston being able to have playoff success against those guys? Oh, it's the same timeline. I mean, the, the expectations are still like going to be the I same. Like it. Okay, It's still going to be the same. I've, I've said it the last two weeks. I mean, if they get Dame, so what? If they want beef, we got Sasha's. Like, we still got to ball up. <laughs> we still got <laughs> to roll up the ball, bro. Like, I'm not going to lie. Listen, if they get Dame... When we when we go into that series, it's definitely not going to be on some underdog, you know, ish anymore. Because last season, you know, the the Heat were an eight seed. They made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, and it was a crazy overachievement. If they get Dame, what I'm expecting is the Heat are going to be a maybe one, two, three seed. The Celtics are going to also be a one, two, three seed, and we're going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals or wherever around it is with equal expectations. And we're just gonna we're just gonna roll the ball out, uh, roll the ball out, and see what happens at that point. So, I would personally love Dame to be on my team instead of the Heat. But hey, man, I mean, we gotta. <laughs> not every playoff run is gonna be like you gotta face some good teams to win a championship. So that's a fact. That's a fact. You know, with with the East, if anything, getting weaker, there has to be someone. There has to be someone there to fill the spot. So. It's just it's just the nature of things, and if anything, we we got away with a lot of like easy matchups this last playoff run. So, no, the luck couldn't last forever. Yeah, um, I would say in closing though, for the Boston Celtics, I think the main th concern they need to have for these next two years, now that you have you know paid you know pretty much both of those guys, obviously Tatum is on the way, is the front court because to me Rob Will is great, but he's injury prone. And Al Horford is going to probably be done after two more years. Getting Porzingis was tremendous. I do like that. But on top of having another big, just in case, the point guard play. I would like to see Boston make some type of like marginal improvement, having some guy that can come in and fit playmaker-wise. I think Mike Conley would be perfect for your roster. Like the perfect yeah. bank who can just come in not do too much with the basketball but, but make the right choices because as soon as they traded D'Lo for Mike Conley you saw that team jump immediately right so I would hope that Boston finds some way for that but 
all in all, I'm excited to be watching Boston basketball. There's a guy who's been lighting up the entire summer league with his play. Maybe he, I don't know, maybe he gets some time, but I just want to say, B-Souls, I appreciate you for joining the Gifted Hoops podcast. This is like right here, episode 18. Like I've been working mm -hmm. very hard and you giving me the real opportunity to like come on your stream, talk basketball, cook some people, you know, like have some fun. I really appreciate that. And as a creator, I look up to you and like all of the work that you put in. I understand how hard you work and how if you really want to be a success, you know, with all this, it, it takes those times of scheduling content out, recording content, editing content. Like I'm doing this all by myself and I'm working as hard as I can because in the off season, many mm -hmm. creators just pause and stop. But you are still going and I am still going. So I appreciate your time. Are there any closing comments you have before we wrap up this episode of Get the Hoops? Um, first of all, I appreciate you for having me. You know, I like talking about my Celtics. So especially when you ask me to talk about my Celtics, I'm like, all right, let, let, let's talk about it. So I appreciate you for having me um, on your platform and all the compliments uh, that you just gave. Because I'm not going to lie, um, in the last like five years, I've. If there's one thing like I do tip my hat off to myself is like my efforts to kind of bring the NBA community together because back back like when I started, everyone just had their own channel. Everyone was just yep. I'm gonna focus on my own thing and make my own videos. But, you know, when when I started my my podcast back then and having all these guests on and more recently with Let's Keep It A Buck and the streams that I've been doing and the Twitter space and all that, I'm glad to see that like everyone is is starting to feel like a community more than anything you know what i'm saying and i'm, I'm glad to be a part of you know a big part of that so um you know i want to help like the next generation of nba content creators as well because i i know what content creation in general has done for me so if i can help more people um achieve the things that i've achieved that that's a win for me because you know the the ability to talk about your passion for a living is is a privilege is a privilege that for some reason, social media is allowed to be actually attainable to a bunch of people. So, you know, you might as well take advantage of it while it's here. So appreciate 100%. you for having me on. Though. Yeah, listen, 100 percent like creators like you matter. I I was literally on Twitter trying to do a group podcast with like five other people. And I just love basketball so much that like things kind of fell off but i was able to just talk hoops and then out of nowhere i see you in a space I see, I see low in a space and i'm just talking to people so i hope to continue to do that as i grow and give back to other creators but appreciate you b souls i know you are a busy man go tap into his channel links and all that will be in the description and i'll be hitting you up when this episode drops but appreciate all the support that we're getting on the gifted hoops podcast make sure to tap into the spotify apple podcast and also the video version on youtube all gifted hoops we appreciate y'all and we'll catch y'all next week for another breakdown of the nba team peace out people